Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. It's been kind of a crazy week in the news, hasn't it? Um, State of Minnesota has gotten front page uh, publicity nationally and, and even in many foreign countries, and not necessarily the kind of publicity we'd like, though. Such uh, social unrest in, in a Minneapolis suburb led to uh, 3,000 National Guard members and 1,000 law officers uh, from even other states joining together to provide what they called Operation Safety Net and to keep the chaos and anarchy from breaking out like they did last summer. And, and hopefully now with the verdict uh, being rendered concerning that unfortunate death of uh, George Floyd at the hands of the police last summer, the fury of public sentiment will subside. Though it seems that some public figures are intent on stirring it up at times. So I've been reading in the Psalms lately. I, I became intrigued with the beginning wording of Psalm 2, where it describes the nations as, as being in an uproar or, or raging. And it also points us then to God's solution to that chaos. And I invite you to look with me at, at Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 2. And the title of my message today is Divine Politics. And as we look at this psalm, I think you will find it intriguing, too, how God deals with the uproar that is in our world. Please stand in reverence to God's word as we read. Psalm 2, beginning with verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? And the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, he said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word, and, and uh, we pray that as we meditate on it and as we think of the situation, our world around us, that you would encourage us and remind us of your um, awesome oversight over all things. And uh, Lord, may we humble ourselves before you and, and seek your help in our individual lives and, and for our land and this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The uh, first line of this psalm that caught my attention asked, why are the nations in an uproar 
or ESV says, why do the nations rage? That, that word uproar, um, by definition, is a loud or an impassioned noise or disturbance. Synonyms to it include turmoil, disorder, confusion, chaos, and commotion. Aren't those all kind of an apt description of what we see happening around us these days? And, and, and apparently, though, such turmoil is nothing new. The, the psalmist, David, says that it was going on back in his time over 3,000 years ago. I do think that in this technology and information age, though, we are, um, are all the more continually bombarded with and made aware of the, the turmoil that's going on, not only nearby, but all over the world. Well, David describes this turmoil here in verses 1 through 3 here. He talks of the nations in an uproar. He, he says the people are raging and devising vain things. And it seems to me there, there is a lot of rage, a, a lot of political scheming going on these days, and polar opposite perspectives are being pushed no matter what the subject. Uh, there is this maneuvering for position and power. And it's a constant challenge then for us to sort out as we hear about it, who should we believe and what should we believe regarding things like the racial unrest or the crisis at the border with Mexico or, or this COVID-19 pandemic or, or climate change or states pursuing election law reform or even the number of justices on the Supreme Court. And that's just the start really of the list of some of those tensions that exist in our land. And similar tensions seem to exist um, all over the world. People are restless. Nations are in an uproar and there is anger and rage. However, as we go on in this psalm, it explains that the uproar in the world actually is a result of something in the hearts of mankind. Verse 1, the people's devising a vain thing. ESV, or plotting in vain. Much of the uproar is due to people maneuvering for power rather than recognizing that there is a higher power over us all, Almighty God. And the psalmist reminds us that that plotting for position really is in vain because all of us are accountable to God. But many all over the world are in denial of that, including people in high places at times and in the leadership even of nations. And so in verse 2 here, he talks about the kings of the earth taking their stand and the rulers taking counsel together. And then he says this, against the Lord and against his anointed. And so you see then this raging, this devising and scheming then involves doing so in rebellion against the Lord and his anointed. The uproar in the world is a result of mankind's fallen state and his rebellion against his creator and also then against that one that God anointed and sent to redeem this world. I'm going to explain a little more about just who that anointed one is in a bit. But first of all, let me also point out from verse 3 just what it is that some of those people devising vain things are saying. They're saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, what they are wanting is to cast off all restraints. Wanting to be free of anyone, including God, telling them what they should do. Telling them what is right and wrong. They want to set their own rules, their own moral standards. And now isn't that much the tone that we see in our country in our time? 
voices sing. Ditch the Bible on that creation I found in, in, in those Ten Commandments. Those are vastly outdated. Far too narrow-minded with only two genders and, and specific limits on sexual expression. Ditch most of those accounts in the Bible of the miraculous. That's really incompatible with modern science. He maybe hang on to some of Jesus' teachings, but ditch those claims he made about himself as, as being the only way to heaven. That, that's not open mind enough for this age. What is the Lord's response to the nations that are in an uproar, desiring vain things in rebellion against him and wanting to cast off all restraints? I think of this, in a way, almost like a, a chess game here. The, the world has made its move, and, and now it's God's move. And, and his response and his strategy is, is very interesting as you look on here in this text. You see that in, in verses 4 to 6 and his response to the nations. He is not intimidated by kings and leaders of the earth with their power moves, and they're trying to shake off all restraints. No, it tells us here that, that he laughs at their arrogance. He doesn't laugh at the chaos and the suffering caused by their actions, but his heart aches at their arrogance. And he aches at, he, he says he laughs at their arrogance here and, and those that think that they can control the world and, and ignore God's laws. Uh, both natural and moral laws they try to ignore. David also says here this, that God will, with righteous wrath, speak to them and terrify them. And notice what he says about God's wrath here. It, it, it is a righteous wrath. It's not a hasty response to those who disregard him and openly rebel against him. No, the Bible over and over reminds us that God is so patient and long-suffering. And yet there does come a point in which the cup of his wrath is full and he pours it out on those that deserve it. And that wrath is shown then at times. Sometimes it's in natural consequences for sin. Sometimes it's with acts of God in nature. Sometimes it's even with other nations bringing destruction on a nation that's turned its back on God. And ultimately God's wrath will be shown on Judgment Day. When that day of grace will be over. And it will be too late for those that have rejected him. So how does the Lord move then in response to the nations in an uproar and a people devising vain things and leaders maneuvering for power? Well, it tells us here he laughs at their, at their arrogance and he promises that his righteous wrath is coming sooner or later. And then the Lord in his divine politics does this most interesting move as well. He installs his own king on the holy mountain. He's not intimidated by, intimidated by those that think they have power. No, instead, he puts in place one that is more powerful than them all. Verse 6, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. That word installed or enthroned, that, that's language of coronation, of crowning of a king. Well, who is this king? Who does he install? who is God's anointed one that David mentioned in verse 2 here. Well, King David himself, who wrote this psalm, was anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel, and so David, even as a boy, was 
designated by God to be the future king of Israel, and that was God's plan, and no one could thwart it, no matter how much they plotted to do so. And so David does understand this concept of God's anointing and just what that means. But here in this psalm, David points ahead to one that is far greater than he, who would be declared God's anointed one, and, and would be installed then on God's holy mountain, Jerusalem. And he points to Jesus Christ then, and to his death on Mount Calvary. That really is the fulfillment of this prophetic psalm. And it's interesting, as you look in the New Testament, at the writers from the New Testament, um, we see that the disciples, Peter and John, along with the Apostle Paul, and the author of Hebrews, all agree on this. All of them refer to these verses in Psalm 2 as pointing to Jesus as God's anointed one that David was speaking about. And so God's response, you see, then, to a world that is in rebellion against him is to send his son, the King of Kings, to this earth. As you look on in the psalm, then, verse 7 to 9, there we see, then, that son's reign over the nations. He declares the, the Lord's decree here that he is God's son. Verse 7, he said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, when was that fulfilled? When did that happen that God made such a declaration? When we look in the New Testament, we see two different events where we have record of, of a voice from heaven declaring that about Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, when the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, a voice from the heavens declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then later, when Peter, James, and John were up on that mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, and they saw him glorified before them, there was this voice from the clouds that declared, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Well, those disciples never forgot that. Years later, when Peter wrote in his epistle that we have in our Bible, he referred to that event as a reminder then of who Jesus truly was, the amazing son of God. And so God installed his king on his holy mountain. But as we think about it, he did so in a most unusual way. That all-powerful king, Jesus Christ, displayed his power. But, but not by physical force as other kings and their armies do. But no, his power was displayed by his profound teaching that stumped the religious leaders of his time. And by those amazing miracles that he did of healing and of controlling the forces of nature and even raising the dead to life. And then that king displayed his power in a most amazing way by willingly sacrificing himself for sinful mankind. And you know, with all of the hype in the news uh, about George Floyd and more recently Dante Wright's deaths at the hands of police, there have been those who have held them up as, as heroes that sacrificed themselves for a cause. However, although some good may come from their deaths, they did not offer themselves to die, nor were they faultless in what led to their deaths. But that was not the case concerning Jesus Christ. He, the perfect, sinless, all-powerful Son of God, was certainly able to stop the crucifixion from taking place 
but he willingly sacrificed himself for us. And the Bible reveals to us that the king of kings then took on himself on that cross the wrath of God that was due to us who are sinners in rebellion against our creator. As we think then of the resulting reign of God's anointed one over the world, we see him declared God's son. And then you look in verse 8 here, and it's interesting. I see it as him requesting his territory. God the Father says to him, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And God the Father then gives to the Son the nations as his inheritance. How does he do that? Well, he extends the invitation to people in, in, in every nation on earth to just turn from that uproar and chaos and, and look to the Son for forgiveness and for cleansing. And I think of Jesus himself offering this gracious invitation that we know of in Matthew 11, where he says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That, that's rest from the uproar and the chaos. Rest for your souls. And that individual rest then is found when, when each person individually faces the reality of their own sins and, and confesses that and then looks to Jesus for forgiveness and for heart transformation. And Jesus keeps on extending that invitation today as well. Peter says that he is not wishing that anyone would perish but that all would come to repentance. That's his wish. However, there is coming a day when the time will be up. And then he, God's anointed, will on that day show supreme rule. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even of those who pierced him. And all mankind then will be confronted at that point with the reality of who Jesus is and what they have done with him. And that will include Rulers like King Herod and Pontius Pilate and, in, and even presidents and world leaders today, all of them will one day stand before the king whom God installed over them all. And Philippians 2 tells us, then at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the glory of God the Father. And so in light of that final outcome then, as we look on in this psalm here, verses 10 to 12 here, we see then the Lord's advice to rulers and, and to peoples of the nations. The word to all rulers and peoples on earth starts with this, show discernment and take warning. To those who are rulers and leaders of nations, God's word declares, then remember who you serve and who you're really answerable to. The Lord God was the one that put you in power, and he can also remove you from power, and so then show discernment in how you rule, and do it for the good of the people and not for personal gain or political advantage. Do it ultimately for God's glory and not your own. I like the words of Melanchthon where he said it this way, it should be the first care of kings to advance God's glory. And what a contrast that is then to those in positions of power for their own glory. And, and to not only then rulers and political leaders, but also to all people, the same advice comes from God. Show discernment. Be aware of what's happening around you and the forces that are maneuvering for power and be aware of some of their godless agendas. 
And we Christians then are to recognize and to discern when those plots are against God and against his anointed, Jesus Christ, and when they're against then God's values and God himself. And we are to look then at those who are stirring up the chaos and ask those questions, well, what's in it for them? Is this a maneuver for power? What is their belief about God and about his anointed, Jesus Christ? And if they deny the existence of God and reject his son, then they probably aren't to be so trusted on some other things either. And we Christians are not to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that the devising, the scheming isn't happening. We're to show discernment, and that means being informed. I mentioned back last fall something called the, the World Economic Forum and their goal of capitalizing on the pandemic and making 2021 the, the year of the Great Reset. And now, if you want to be informed, you can go and look it up, look up World Economic Forum online, and you'll get their website. And you'll see some stated goals, and some of them may even sound noble. But you also will have access to some reviews that raise some alarms regarding an organization that's made up of some of the most wealthy and powerful elites in the world, seeking to use that pandemic to globally shape things economically and socially and related to climate change. As we become aware of things like that then, and of those agendas, it behooves us to ask then, well, how will that affect us? But also then, what's in it for them? And do they recognize the God who is over all things, or are they putting themselves in a position of God? And I believe that America and the whole world really does need a great reset, but not the kind that they're pursuing. We need a great reset in individual hearts as people grasp the reality of their own sinfulness and their being accountable to their Creator, and as they then humble themselves and look to God's anointed one, His Son, for forgiveness and for power to change. And the Lord's advice sent to the rulers and peoples of nations is show discernment and take warning, and then it goes on to say, and, and worship with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Well, to worship means to recognize the worth of somebody that is higher than us. We humans are made to worship Almighty God. And God intends for us to gather, as we're doing here today, with other believers, an expression then of that worship. And that's where there's a problem when government leaders close churches or they clamp down on capacities as more restrictive churches than any other businesses or entities. Those, those government leaders then are making a judgment call of if such gatherings and expressions of corporate worship are essential or not. I'm thankful that in our state, uh, earlier on, our governor changed his mind on that and agreed to allow gatherings such as we have today. And I've been encouraged to see that it's opening up in some other places as well. Just this last week, um, California removed all their restrictions on religious gatherings as well. That change took place, partly due to because uh, Pastor John MacArthur's church there uh, took the health officials of the state to court and asked them to testify and explain then why it is that they were more restrictive of churches than of any other entities. And rather than 
have to testify in court regarding that, they chose to remove the restrictions. I believe we need to pray for other places though, where churches uh, are, are really restricted, like up in Alberta, Cal- or in Canada, for instance. Uh, they're limited to 15% capacity. And, and uh, there's a church up there that's been fenced off because they haven't complied with that. They're now meeting underground in order to worship together. The Lord's advice to the rulers and peoples of the nations is show discernment and take warning and then recognize the value of worship and worship with reverence. And then he says, do, do homage to the sun sooner or later. <coughs> Excuse me. So that means then <clears throat> not only worship the creator God, but also bow before his son, Jesus Christ. Some of you might have seen in the news um, in the last week here locally, uh, there was a statue in front of a Catholic church in Fargo that had black spray paint painted over the face of Jesus. It, I appreciated, though, the response of a church spokesperson concerning that. It said this, Our hope is that those responsible may someday experience their own encounter with the face of Jesus. According to Scripture, sooner or later, we all will. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The Lord's advice then to all rulers and peoples on earth is show discernment and take warning, worship with reverence, and you will bow before the sun sooner or later. And then lastly in this psalm we see this. There's a word of encouragement to all who do bow before him here and now in this life while it is still a day of grace. For you and I then, we are invited here to take refuge in him. As you live in this world with nations in an uproar and people devising vain things, take refuge in a personal relationship with God, your Creator and His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who one day will reign supreme and unchallenged. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm. It's it's interesting to think of uh, David declaring these words, uh, probably not fully understanding all that he was pointing ahead to, but we see how New Testament writers recognize so clearly that even David was declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ, pointing ahead to that one who would come and, and would be your provision for a world in chaos. And Lord, we, we get discouraged as we look around at the news uh, locally and nationally and, and uh, across the globe. But Lord, help us that we would lift up our heads and look to you, that we would take refuge in you. Lord, I pray if there be somebody here today who has been challenged by your word to consider that they too need to bow the knee before the one who is Lord of all, that they would humble themselves and recognize their own sinfulness and their need for Jesus. And they'd recognize that he gave himself on the cross, that the wrath of God we deserved would be taken away from us and placed on him. And we thank you for that tremendous gift, for your love for this world, Lord. And, and we pray that you'd help us then to live our lives in such a way that we'd be witnesses pointing to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that we would not be overwhelmed with the things in the world around us, 
but Lord, that, that you would draw us to walk with you and point others to you, the hope that we have of forgiveness of all of our sin and of eternal life in heaven with you someday. Thank you for the songs today that remind us of what we have to look forward to then. But help us to live each day, Lord, in, in relationship with you, we pray. Amen.